Hey, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Great worship this morning. Thank you for that. That was an encouragement to hear all those voices out there singing along with our worship team. Joshua chapter 10 this morning, as we continue our series in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 10. Joshua 10 is an illustration for us, an example for us, that as you and I spiritually grow, as we try to take more territory for God in our lives, as we try to advance, as the Israelites were doing, into the promised land and taking more of the promised land, there will be times where we are attacked. There will be times where we encounter warfare and battles. There will be times where we have to fight for what God wants to give to us. And that's exactly what we see here in Joshua chapter 10. We're going to divide this story up into sort of four perspectives we're going to look at it from. We're going to see what the Amorite kings are doing, and then we're going to see what the Gibeonites do in response to what the Amorite kings do, and then we're going to see what Joshua and the Israelites do and finally, we're going to look at what the Lord's doing here in this passage of Scripture. Because one of the things that we are reminded of in Joshua chapter 10 is that when you and I are in the midst of a battle, when we are being attacked, when we are in the midst of, say, spiritual warfare in our lives, more than anything else, we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. We've got to keep him front and center in our attention. In fact, before we even get into the message this morning, I want to encourage you with this. If you look at Joshua 10, 14, verse 14, and you look at the very last phrase of that verse, it says, for the Lord, by the way, that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Jehovah, the covenant name for God in the Old Testament, not Adonai. The Lord fought for Israel. And the reason I want to point out that out at the very beginning is because the same God who fought for Israel is the same God today who fights for you. The same God who's in the midst of your battles, your warfare, the same God who is with you when you are attacked and when I am attacked. Well, what we find in the first five verses of Joshua chapter 10 is that the kings around this area are beginning to hear what God has done with his people in conquering Jericho and conquering Ai and then what happened with the Gibeonites. And especially the king of Jerusalem. He's sort of the one that gets it all started and for, for us as Christians, especially when we hear about Jerusalem, it's almost like we always thought that that was Israel, right? That, that was the good guys in a sense, right? No. Remember, they are coming into the land that God is giving them, but they've not conquered Jerusalem yet. So Jerusalem is in enemy territory, if you will, at this point in history. And the king of Jerusalem, he's starting to feel a little squeezed. He's starting to feel a little pressure. 
Ai that was conquered by the Israelites was 10 miles north of Jerusalem. And now Gibeon, who's entered into this peace treaty and this covenant, this alliance with Israel, they're only five miles south of Jerusalem. And he's starting to feel the pressure. He's starting to get afraid, he and his people. And so he reaches out to these other kings and kingdoms around him, and he's basically saying in these five verses, guys, we need to get together and we need to go attack Gibeon and get it back because this is a little too close for comfort. And again, like I said last week, this is sort of an illustration of the enemy of the en of my enemy is my friend. Uh, these kings and kingdoms would fight each other most of the time, but now they're feeling threatened by a common opponent, and that's really Israel and Israel's God. And so they're forming this alliance, and they want to come now at Gibeon and take it back. One of the things that we learn here then is this. Out of their fear, out of their insecurity, rather than retreating like we may think would be the case, they attack. And the reason I want to bring that up is because we need to be reminded of that in the world in which we live. There's a lot of fear in people's lives today. There's a lot of insecurity in people today. And we have to remember when it comes to human behavior that a lot of times, in fact, maybe most of the time, Instead of people who are fearful and insecure retreating, they actually attack out of their fear, out of their insecurity. And that's exactly what's happening here with all of these kings and kingdoms. So that sort of gives us the historical context, if you will, of what precipitates all that goes on here then in the rest of the chapter. These kings are feeling threatened, they're fearful of what's going to happen to them, and so they launch this attack against Gibeon. Then you'll notice verse 6. The men of Gibeon sent this message to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal. Do not abandon your subjects, your covenant partners. Rescue us. Help us. For all the Amorite kings living in the hill country are attacking us. We've seen now what the Amorite kings are doing. Now let's look for a moment at what the Gibeonites are doing. They're reaching out for help because they know that there's no way on their own they're going to be able to stand against all of these other kings and kingdoms. So a couple principles here we need to talk about this morning. One is... They are a great illustration for us and should be a great encouragement to us that there will be times in our life where we need to reach out to others for help. We as Christians sometimes are the worst at that. And yet, the Bible teaches us, God teaches us, there's going to be times in our life, that's part of why he built us into communities, why we have friendships, why we enter into partnerships. Here what is happening is Gibeon is basically saying, Israel, you said you'd have our back. 
Do you have our back in this? Can we count on you to help protect us, defend us, and support us in this time of need? I hope that this is a reminder to you. Maybe you're going through something in your life and you're trying to do it all by yourself, all alone. You need to be encouraged that it is perfectly acceptable at times in our life to reach out and say to your partners, if you will, your, your close friends, hey, I need, I need help. I can't do this on my own. The Bible talks about us bearing one another's burdens. That's what's happening here. The Bible talks about us rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. It, it's all about living with, with those folks that we can call on. And, and I guess something I want to say today, too, then, based on this is, do you have somebody in your life, like the Gibeonites, that you know you can call on and that they have your back and that they will help you in your times of need? Are there people in your life that know that they can call on you and that you will be there for them having their back when they need that help or assistance, you see? That's what's going on here. And then one more thing I want to say. Please don't take what's happening here as God is holding each of us responsible for all the needs that we hear about. Because none of us humanly can meet all the needs that we hear about, okay? God doesn't hold us responsible to meet everybody's needs. But God will hold us responsible, especially to have the backs of our partners. Those people that we have, in a sense, entered into a partnership with, like the Gibeonites did with the Israelites, you see. Those are the people that we should have their back. We should be there for them when they need our help. And that's exactly what the Gibeonites were doing. They turned to the Israelites and said, rescue us, help us. Don't abandon your subjects. Don't abandon your covenant partners. You entered into a partnership with us. Will you follow through with that commitment? And the Israelites did. They absolutely were true to their word, and God honored them, not only because ultimately they were doing what God wanted, what his will was, was to, you know, push these enemies further out and so that Israel could inhabit more of the land that God was giving them, but he also honored them in that they honored their word to the Gibeonites. They honored their covenant that they made last week, we saw in chapter 9, to the Gibeonites. And so we see now what the Amorite kings are doing. We see what the Gibeonites are doing in response to what the Amorite kings are doing. Now let's look for a few moments at what Joshua and the Israelites did. Verse 7, so Joshua and his whole army, including the bravest warriors, that word in the Hebrew language is Heroes. Heroes. God always has his heroes. Those who are willing to rise up, help others, 
help in the rescue of others, help be the hands and feet of Jesus, help bear one another's burdens. That's exactly what's going on here. That's a real hero, if you will, in God's eyes. Those who are willing to fight for what's right and fight for what God wants to give them, those who are willing to enter into the battle, enter into the fray, even though it will be difficult. God talks a lot about how at times we need to be soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going on here. But notice, they marched up from Gilgal. So first thing you see here is that Joshua marched and the Israelites marched. Now that's a march of 25 miles. And it was going to be in one night, a forced march at night over very, very difficult terrain, okay? So one of the things that we learn here is they put forth a lot of effort. They didn't just sit back and go, okay, God, you do it all. See, God's going to show up. We're going to see that in just a moment. But God is never about just doing everything for us and us not putting any skin in the game, if you will, as we said. No, they had to be willing to do their part. And so often, sometimes, you know, we, we Christians, it's like we, we just, you know, just sit back and think God's just going to do it all for us and somehow we're going to get from point A to point B and God's just going to pick us up and throw us there or carry us there. No, we've got to do what we know we should be doing. We've got to do our part. And that's what you see here. Even though... Joshua and the Israelites were instruments of God here. They still had to do what they could do. So Joshua marched. And then it says in verse 9, Joshua and the Israelites attacked. By the way, he attacked them by surprise after marching all night because they didn't expect that. Humanly speaking, they would have been exhausted. And then to enter into the battle... They wouldn't have had anything left, which I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but because it sort of is happening here, I want to connect it here. God is supernaturally energizing his warriors for this. There is no way, humanly speaking, after a forced march at night, 25 miles over really tough terrain, that those soldiers would have had anything humanly left to enter into that battle and to fight a battle. God supernaturally shows up when we need him to, even to energize us and give us that extra that we need at times during certain seasons of our life, especially seasons where we're being attacked, seasons of battle, seasons of warfare, seasons where we're fighting for what God wants to give us. God will supernaturally energize us. In fact, you all know I'm a big Civil War buff. And one of the great stories that comes out of the Battle of Gettysburg and why the tide was tipped a little bit to, to the north even on day two, which was a very strategic day of the battle with Little Round Top, is the 115th Alabama that was going up that hill. They had marched for miles upon miles outside of Gettysburg just to get to that point. They had nothing left when they met the 20th Maine and some of the other regiments up there on Little Round Top. Humanly speaking, the reason that, that they were pushed back so easily, there were other factors, but one of them just, they were just tired. 
They just didn't have the energy that the Union soldiers had because they had marched all day to get there. Same thing is happening here. So why did Joshua and his army have the energy that they had? Because God gave it to them. God gave them that supernatural extra energy. So Joshua marched, Joshua attacked, and then look over at verse 12. Joshua prayed. And oh my, what a prayer it was. Joshua says, God, we need more time to do what you've asked us to do. Will you extend the day? Will you make the sun stand still? That's a crazy prayer, right? Well, we're going to see God answered that prayer. In fact, the Bible says in verse 14, there's never been a day like it before or since. Wow. God made the sun stand still? Folks, if you're one of those that marks your Bible like me, I would mark the first four words of verse 13. The sun stood still. And the reason I would mark that is because you can always go back and go, in your time of warfare and battles and you're being attacked and, and maybe you're fighting for what God, you know, wants to give you and you're fighting for more territory and you're growing spiritually, but it just seems like everything's against you. Remember those four words. God made the sun stand still. I've even had many Christians over there say, well, I don't, you know, that can't be. That, that scientifically can't, you know, happen. And how did God do that? I don't know. If I had to give an answer to somebody about how God did that, I would give you two verses out of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, 17 and Jeremiah 32, 27. Let me share them with you if you don't know them by heart. Jeremiah 32, 17, God and Jeremiah are having a, you know, conversation, and Jeremiah says to the Lord, O oh Lord, you did indeed make heaven and earth by your great power and your mighty strength. There is nothing too hard for you. And then God, in verse 27, back to Jeremiah, says, I'm the Lord the God of all humankind. Indeed, there is nothing too difficult for me. If somebody asked me, how did God do that? I don't know. But I know this, there's nothing too hard or too difficult for God. And I say that to be an encouragement to some of you, again, who may be in the midst of it right now. You may be in the midst of a struggle, a, a big trial. Uh, you're being attacked. I want to remind you, if God can make, if it's not too hard for God to make the sun stand still, then he can help you with your situation. Because my guess is he probably doesn't have to make the sun stand still in your case. It's probably something a little bit less than that. But the fact is that God was willing to do it, and God can do it because there's nothing too hard or too difficult for God. By the way, it's not the only crazy thing that God did to his creation at one time. In the book of Isaiah, as a sign to Hezekiah, he actually reversed the rotation of the earth. Again, yeah, I understand. Well, that, that's going to set in motion all these things. Like the universe would implode if that happened. 
God's the one who created it. God can control it. Every aspect of it. Because he's God, you see. Which goes back to why it's important that you start with the basic building blocks that are revealed to us about our God in the Bible. And the very first one is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you don't believe that, then everything else from Genesis 1 to the rest of the Bible won't make any sense to you. But if you accept by faith that God was great enough to create everything in the universe, a universe, by the way, that's so big and so vast, even with our telescopes and all of these you know, great technologies that we have at this point, we still can't come to the end of it. That's our God. So speaking about our God, let's look finally at what God did in this passage because he's really the central figure, not the Amorite kings, not even the Gibeonites, not even Joshua and the Israelites. It's God. And we need to remember that. Again, when we are in a fight, when we are in a battle, when we are being attacked, when we're going through a struggle, we've got to keep our eyes on the Lord. In fact, I want to point out just briefly all the time that Joshua mentions the Lord here. Start in verse 8 with me and follow along real quick. The Lord told Joshua, verse 8. Then look at verse 10. The Lord routed them. Then up in verse uh, 11, the Lord threw down on them these large hailstones. Verse 14, two times. The Lord obeyed or listened or answered uh, Joshua's prayer. The Lord fought for Israel. Then over in verse 25, the Lord will do the same thing to all your enemies you fight. Over and over again in this one chapter, who do you see showing up? The Lord. The Lord. And that needs to be the case with us. We need to get our eyes off of the Amorite kings and our situation, our circumstances, and keep our eyes riveted on the Lord. Even Joshua's name reveals the secret of winning our battles and of being victorious in our Christian life. Joshua's name means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is our salvation. God is our salvation. And that's what we see here. So notice what the Lord does. First of all, back in verse 8, as Joshua and the army is moving out and marching, the Lord comes and speaks to Joshua. And notice, this is a remarkable, fresh promise from the Lord, one that he gave Joshua earlier. But God knows there are times in our life where we just need a little bit of reassurance. We, we just need a little bit of encouragement here because we're getting ready to face down a huge enemy, right? And so God comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, I just want you to know this. Don't be afraid of them, for I'm handing them over to you. Not one of them, not most of them, not one of them can resist you. What a welcoming word from God to his leader, Joshua. And I think to myself, that's exactly who and what our God is all about. Just when we need a fresh promise, some, some reassurance, some encouragement, some comfort, some compassion, some understanding. God is there to give it to us, and he wants to speak into our lives. Are we listening for him? Do we hear the voice of God who wants to come alongside of us and give us those fresh promises and that word of encouragement to us just when we need it the most? 
That's what we see the Lord doing here. Then again, we see him supernaturally energizing his warriors to make that long overnight march and still enter the battle with great energy. Then notice verse 10. The Lord routed them before Israel. Israel thoroughly defeated them at Gibeon. Again, Israel had to do their part. They had to be willing to march and attack and go out on the battlefield and do what they could do. But if they did their part, God would more than show up. And by the way, this may be the first instance in history of what I call and what's called today psychological warfare. This is God's shock and awe treatment here of the enemy. Because the word routed there, literally in the Hebrew, means to throw someone into a panic, to cause them to be dazed and confused. This was not physical. This was mental. This was psychological. God was getting into the minds of the enemy, causing them panic, causing them to be confused while they were on the battlefield. See, our enemy, the devil, is not the only one that can throw things in people's minds. Our God can do the same thing. And that's exactly what was happening here. Then... Then God did something else remarkable. Up in verse 11, the Lord threw down on them large hailstones from the sky. Artillery from heaven, here it comes. Oh, and by the way, another miracle that many people miss at this point is that those hailstones that God was throwing down from heaven on the enemy only touched the enemy, none of Israel's soldiers. Well, I mean, you know, you've got this battlefield filled with all of these people and they're fighting each other and the hailstones only hit certain people. So you've got God energizing these people, giving Joshua a fresh word, playing with their minds, if you will, with some psychological warfare, throwing them into a panic, causing them to be dazed and confused, and now throwing hailstones down on them. The Lord was fighting for Israel. It reminds me of a verse in the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verse 3. It says, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And again, I want to remind you that the same God that was fighting for Israel here is the same God who's willing and ready to fight for you. When you're being attacked, when you're in a battle, when you're trying to gain new ground spiritually and it just seems like it's a fight day after day. Then verse 14, the Lord obeyed a man It means the Lord listened to Joshua's prayer. He answered Joshua's prayer, this crazy, audacious, unbelievable prayer. God, we need more time. Make the sun stand still. And God answered that prayer. If God will answer that prayer, don't you think God will answer your prayer? He absolutely will. But you and I have to trust and believe. And as as we saw last week, the reason the Israelites did not have victory last week and they were deceived and they failed is because they did not ask the Lord's advice we saw last week in Joshua 9. So now we go from a prayerlessness that we see in Joshua 9 now to Joshua praying this amazing prayer. 
And I want to encourage you with that. Uh, maybe you've stopped praying for something or someone. Don't stop. Keep praying. And know that the Lord hears you. And, and here's the deal. It's not that the Lord couldn't do something. We obviously know if he can make the sun stand still, he can do anything. Nothing's too hard or difficult. It may be a timing thing. It may be just, this isn't the right time. You need to trust me in my timing of this. Or it may be that God sees in all of his wisdom, because again, he sees not only the iceberg above the water, he sees all the people's lives below the water and what's going on in that situation below the water that you and I can't see. We don't have that insight into. He may just go, that's not going to be the best thing. I'm going to work. And I'm going to do something, but it's not going to be what you're asking because what you're asking me to do is not going to be good in the long run. It's not going to be beneficial to you. It may not be beneficial in this situation. Maybe you think it's going to be beneficial, but I, God, can see it all. And that's where our faith has to kick in, even as we're praying. But pray. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying for little things because God cares about every little thing in our life. And don't stop praying for big things because I don't know about you, but I don't think I could pray for anything bigger than the sun standing still. And God answered that prayer. And then again, back to verse 14. The Lord fought for Israel. The Lord fought for them and he will fight for you. In fact, over in verse 25, later on in the passage, Joshua is sort of again trying to reassure and encourage his people. And he says, don't be afraid and don't panic. Be strong and brave, for the Lord will do the same thing to all your enemies you fight. Not one of them will be able to stand before you. Not just on this day, Joshua is saying, but even in the future. If you and I follow the Lord, Joshua is saying, we are unstoppable with our God. If our God wants us to move in that direction and we're willing to follow him by faith, then there's nothing standing in our way that's going to come against us. No enemy, no opposition, no obstacle that can keep us from moving forward with our God. But you and I, even as God's people today, we've got to believe that. That there is no enemy out there that can keep us from all that God has for us if we trust him and we follow him. You see. And I, I think God would say the same thing to you and I as a church today. And you and I individually today. Don't be afraid. Fear keeps us from moving forward with our God. Why? Because even as we spiritually grow, our battles will become more intense and our opposition will become more severe. And you and I have to be fearless and we have to be strong in the Lord and not be shaken. That's what the word panic basically means. God is saying to his people, don't be shaken be strengthened in me be confident and courageous and brave in me because i will fight all of your enemies on your behalf you do your part you march you attack you pray you do what you can do but god will more than show up and he will win the day for his people every time every time well Today's communion 
And some of you go, yeah, that pastor, that pastor Jeff, he never does special messages on days. Doesn't do them at Easter, doesn't do it at Christmas, doesn't do it on communion. But here's how this ties in to communion today. The same God who made the sun stand still, and we would all say, that's a miracle that's so big, I can't even understand how God did it, okay? Let me give you another one that I think is even greater than that. The same God that made the sun stand still made his son who knew no sin become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a miracle that's even greater than the sun standing still. And I can't explain it. I cannot explain how God, and I'll just use me for an example, how God placed all the sin that Jeff Royce would ever do, past, present, and yet to come, on his dear son, Jesus Christ, and how Jesus was willing to take all of Jeff Royce's sins, all my failures, all my shortcomings, everything that was wrong about me and is wrong about me, that doesn't line up with God. He was willing to take it all and put it on his son, Jesus, while he was hanging on the cross. And Jesus then took my place on that cross. He took my punishment on that cross. And not only that, but then he removed all of my sin through his sacrifice and then gives me in place of all my sinfulness his righteousness. So that like right now, as I stand before God, I do not stand in my own righteousness. Otherwise, I couldn't stand before God in my own righteousness because as the Bible says, our righteousness, self-righteousness is like filthy rags. I stand before my God. I can approach my God in prayer. I can do what I do like you do what you do because we stand robed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't understand how that takes place but I accept it by faith. And I love that my God did that for me. And for me, that's an even greater and bigger miracle than the sun standing still. That God would take away all my sin through his son, Jesus Christ, and in place of my sin, give me his righteousness. So when we, in just a few moments, partake of the elements of the bread and the cup that symbolize our Lord Jesus' body and blood. Let's remember something. The same Lord that is with us, fighting for us in our battles and in our trials and when we're being attacked, is the same Lord who fought for us on the cross of Calvary to conquer our sin for all time, to take away the penalty of our sin, to take away the power of sin in our life and one day to remove us from the very presence of sin. Our God fought for us. And I want to encourage us then in a very positive way, and that's why we're going to end in a very positive way today, that if our God is willing to go to that length for us, then there's nothing our God would withhold from us if we trust him. He will be there for us. He's met our greatest need, the need of a Savior, than every other need we'll ever have is less than that. 
Our God will fight for us. Our God made the sun stand still. But when he removed our sin and gave us his righteousness through Jesus Christ, to me, that's an even greater miracle than the sun standing still. And we need to be so thankful and grateful for a God who loved us that much. So right now, you all can stay. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up and get in place for our final opportunity of worship today. And then I'm going to go ahead and ask Teresa and her team to get into place as well. And while they're coming, just a couple reminders, especially for those of you who are new to the Oasis. We use non-alcoholic wine instead of grape juice. Uh, the reason I chose that is because when I am observing and remembering what my Lord did, I don't want it to taste sweet in my mouth. I want it to have a little bit of a bitterness to it. Second, we use bread, but it is a gluten-free, dairy-free, egg-free bread because we understand the world in which we live and we don't want somebody not to partake of communion because of maybe some dietary issue. So just to let you all know that as well. As you are there, you will be served, and then we encourage you to just join in our worship. This is a, this is a declaration of how great and good our God is. And I want us to lift up our voices knowing that our God fought for us and fight for us to this day and will always fight for his people when we trust him and when we look to him. And then after our time of worship is done, then we will all partake of the elements together as one. So let's pray and prepare our hearts for what's to come. Lord, we thank you for your love for your willingness, Lord, to come to our aid when we call out to you saying, God, I need help. I need saved. I need rescued. And maybe, Lord, there's someone even here today or someone who's watching from their home today who said, I've never made that commitment to Jesus. I never really understood that he loved me so much that he took away all my sin on the cross and would give me his righteousness in return. But I want to accept that gift today of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You couldn't have a better day to do it than today. All you have to do is just simply believe from your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, well, we are saved. And so I pray today, God, that whether we've been saved We've believed in Jesus for many, many years, or maybe this is the first day of our salvation. God, we thank you for what you've done for us and what you always do for us. And we saw it illustrated once again in Joshua chapter 10. You came to the aid of your people. You were the rescuer. You were the savior. You were the one that showed up to give victory. And you will do the very same thing today. Each of us, Lord, could insert our name in that verse 14. For the Lord fought for Jeff. The Lord fought for any. The Lord fights for me. And so, God, I just pray today that, like Israel, we will trust you, we will lean into you, we will worship you, we will live for you, God, as you fight for us as we move forward with you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.